Being seated, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 26, I'll begin reading at verse 14. Today, across the Christian world, we celebrate what we call Palm Passion Sunday. Across the Christian world today, Christians are gathering, and at the beginning of their worship, they are remembering that triumphant entrance of Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem, and they celebrate with the palms. They celebrate that Jesus was received by many of his followers there in Jerusalem on that particular Sunday, and they were acclaiming him as king, and they were hoping... They were hoping that he would be the kind of Messiah, the kind of deliverer for which they were looking. But we also call this Sunday Palm Passion Sunday because just like it occurred there in that week, after the entrance into Jerusalem, we begin our descent into Holy Week. We begin our descent into taking that journey with Jesus to the cross and beyond. So our second lesson for the morning is a text that helps us understand what it was that put into motion the events of that day. So from Matthew chapter 26, I'll begin reading at verse 14, which says, Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me? if I betray him to you. They paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I cannot even begin to imagine what all it was that he was allowed to see. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000. He saw Jesus cast out demons from the oppressed. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus raise the dead. But even though he saw all of these things and more, Judas still chose to become the betrayer. You see, the religious leaders there in Jerusalem wanted to do away with Jesus. Jesus was problematic, to put it lightly, for those religious leaders there in Jerusalem. You see, those religious leaders there in Jerusalem, they ruled Jerusalem when Rome was not in town. They had a very beneficial relationship with the Roman overlords. So they were living well under the Roman overlords, and someone like a Jesus might, might create a problem for their status quo. So the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, the ones who ran the temple, decided that they needed to get rid of this Jesus. They hated 
Jesus is probably putting it mildly. They saw Jesus' popularity. They saw how many, many of his fans and his followers received him on that Palm Sunday as he made his entrance down the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley into the holy city of Jerusalem. They were wishing him to be the deliverer, the Messiah, for which they had been longing So those religious leaders hated Jesus because of his popularity. Those religious leaders hated Jesus because of of his power. He could do things. He did things that they were incapable of doing. So they decided, those religious leaders, that they needed to somehow arrest Jesus away from the crowds. Arrest Jesus, perhaps, under the cover of darkness, And then they would deal with Jesus. They needed someone, they needed someone who could take them, perhaps under the cover of darkness, perhaps in the late evening, to find this preacher from the Galilee. And Judas, Judas, the one from Cariot, the only one of Jesus' disciples that was from the region around Jerusalem, Judas decided he would be the instrument of betrayal. You notice in the text that I read for a few moments ago that Judas initiated the relationship with the, with the chief priest. Judas went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me? What's in it for me if I betray Jesus to you? And of course, the religious leaders gave Judas from Cariot 30 pieces of silver. In the Bible, that's the price of a slave. That's the price that was paid to Judas for Jesus. They paid him 30 pieces of silver, and the text simply says, at that moment, Judas began to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And of course, that opportunity is going to come on Thursday night when Jesus finishes his Seder meal, what we call the Last Supper, what we remember as the Lord's Supper, and he left the upper room. He went back across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there in the darkness of that night, he spent time in prayer. So it was there, in that place, where Judas, under the cover of darkness and late in the night, when the crowds had dispersed, took the religious leaders, temple police, and Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus. And they went there under the cover of darkness by torchlight. They came to the crowd of disciples. And, of course, Judas pointed Jesus out to the authorities with a kiss. Can you imagine the sense, the depth of that betrayal being turned over to his opponents with a kiss? We don't really know what the motivation was for Judas Iscariot to do exactly what he did. We're not sure exactly what Judas Iscariot thought he was going to cause to take place. We know that it didn't quite end up the way Judas wanted to end up because we know how Judas ended up. Eventually he goes out and he hangs himself. And he gives the money before he hangs himself back 
to those religious leaders. So it didn't end the way Judas thought it would end. So we don't really know his motivation. We never really ever know the motivation of another human being. We really can't see what's in his or her heart. But the New Testament tells us enough about Judas to allow us to characterize Judas as evil. In John chapter 12, we see Mary loving Jesus extravagantly by pouring expensive perfume on his feet and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And some of the disciples say, you know, that's such a waste. Why, why wasn't this expensive perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And it's one of the Gospels who tells us it really was Judas who said that because Judas, Judas was the treasurer. And the Gospel tells us that because he was the treasurer, he wanted that money to go into the treasury so he could help himself to the treasury. That tells us a lot about Judas. Tells us a lot about greed in Judas's life. In John chapter 17, Jesus refers to Judas as a son of perdition. In some contemporary translations, that Greek is translated son of destruction. Another way to translate it, if we weren't concerned about offending a polite company, would be son of damnation. That's what Jesus called Judas. Jesus also at one point in John chapter 6 refers to Judas as a devil. When he looks at the twelve and he says, one of you, and he knew which one, is a devil. And then there at the Last Supper, there at the Last Supper we're told a couple times in the Gospels that Satan entered Judas there to cause Judas to do what he did on that specific night. And it's actually in Matthew 26, from which I read a few moments ago, that Jesus says that it would have, ne it would have been better for Judas had Judas never been born. So we may not know his motives, but we know that what he did was evil. The New Testament just seems to not be able to get over the fact that someone who was among the closest to Jesus was the one who betrayed him. And we know that Judas is, is evil. He's presented as evil. We remember him as evil. And that's why in the Christian community, even though it's a biblical name, we don't give the name Judas any longer to any of our children. We don't know about his motives, but we know about his actions. And you can tell, you can tell a tree by its fruit. We know his actions. When we think about Judas Iscariot, we need to think about what we do know. We know that what he did was evil. We know that Jesus defined him as a son of perdition. We know also, and this is what haunts me when I think about Judas, we know also that Jesus chose Judas. But Judas never chose Jesus. It seems to be always, regarding Judas, about Judas. Jesus chose Judas, but Judas never chose Jesus. For Judas is always about Judas. The other thing we know when we look at the Gospels is that Jesus gave Judas several opportunities 
to change his direction, to repent. That's our theological word, to repent and go a different direction. When you look at the Gospels, I'm sure that you probably remember these great, great signs of Jesus' love for Judas. There at the Last Supper, you perhaps remember that Jesus shared his bread with Judas. Perhaps you remember and will remember on Thursday night that when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, Jesus washed Judas's feet. We know from the Gospels that Judas knew, Jesus knew exactly what Judas was going to do, but still yet, Jesus washed Judas's feet. That is such an amazing act of love. I honestly don't think I could have done that. I don't know that I could have washed Judas's feet knowing what Judas was about to do to me. You know, I, I might have thrown the water in his face or done worse. But Jesus washed Judas' feet. And then even there in the garden, when Judas brings the authorities to arrest Jesus, when he goes through the very act of betrayal itself, you recall perhaps that Jesus greeted Judas with the words, Friend, do what you are here to do. Friend. Jesus just kept reaching out to Judas in love. When I think about the story of Judas, I have to ask myself the question, how, how have I betrayed Jesus? When, I, when have I chosen the crowd instead of the company of Jesus? When have I chosen the ways of the world instead of the ways of Jesus? Human nature being what it is, being the broken people that we are, we are prone to betray. But of course, we want to be modeled after Peter, who betrayed Jesus but then returned to Jesus. We don't want to be modeled by Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus and did not return to Jesus. This week, we're going to make our journey through Holy Week. And I do hope it's a very unusual week for you. I hope that it is a very holy, holy week. I hope that you will join with us on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night here in this sanctuary so that we can be truly prepared for the coming of next Sunday's gift to us. As I make my way, as we make our way through Holy Week, one of the ancient hymns that we always sing during Holy Week is that hymn that we've translated from the Latin into the English, Old Sacred Head Now Wounded. For me, every time I sing that hymn is another experience of being in the presence of the crucified one. And that hymn, that hymn ends with the words, Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to Thee. When we sing that hymn, what we're saying is, God, we had rather die than outlive our love and our devotion to Jesus Christ. May that be true for each one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Amen.